Well, good evening, friends and family and Sound City Bible Church. It's good to see you guys all here this evening. Uh, next year, it looks like we're going to have to rent out the Linwood Convention Center if we do this again or something. It's good to see all of you here. For the last few weeks, what we've been doing during this Advent season as a church family is uh, we've been looking on each Sunday at the story of uh, one of these four women who are listed in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, <clears throat> there's a list of names, as would be common to list a name. The, the list of names is called a genealogy, and this is for the king to let you know that he is of the royal line. But Matthew does something really unusual and really unique in his genealogy. He lists four women. And they're, they're not just any women. They're, they're not some of the usual suspects like, like Sarah or Rachel or Leah. These are women who all four of them are either themselves Gentiles, that they're not Jewish women, or they're married to Gentiles. Women like Rahab and, and Tamar and Bathsheba. And, and, and these women uh, have some pretty dark and painful things in their stories. Uh, backgrounds and, 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 and ancestries and things that happen in their lives that are maybe a little bit uh, disconcerting. And, and, and so we've looked at these stories over the last few weeks. And one of the last themes I want to emphasize tonight as we talk about the joy that Mary has is, is let's not overlook the fact that these are also women. Uh, not just Gentile, not just ones with maybe uh, painful backgrounds, but women. And, and it shows that God's plan of redemption, God's plan of salvation is for all people, not just Jewish people. Amen? Jew and Gentile together. It's not just for uh, those who have good upstanding lives or backgrounds. It's for people who are at times a mess. And it is for men and women together, young and old, rich or poor. We all can find hope in Jesus tonight. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the story of Mary, the last one listed in this genealogy of Jesus. But would you... Uh, bow your heads and pray with me before I do that. God, I thank you for this opportunity to look at uh, this song, this song of joy that Mary sings upon receiving the news that she will be the one to, to bring the Messiah into the world. God, I pray that we would uh, not only uh, honor her legacy and her life, but we would experience the same kind of joy that she had, the kind of joy that knows that hope has come into the world Hope has come into the world, the, the man, Jesus Christ, coming as a young baby. God, would you help me to, to teach well tonight, and would you give all of us receptive hearts in these few short minutes uh, to hear what it is uh, that your word would say to us tonight. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what, amen, that's right. One of my absolute favorite parts about Christmas is the loud reactions on Christmas morning as long as I've had a couple of cups of coffee. You guys know what I'm talking about? The, the kids, they open the presents, especially younger kids. My, my older ones are getting a little bit older. The reactions are a little bit more docile. But when the kids are younger, and they open that package, and they see it, and they squeal, and there's just kind of this reaction, this joy. I love that. I remember a few years ago, uh, my oldest daughters may have probably about six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in that range. My wife and I decided to surprise them on Christmas morning with a trip to Disney World. And we wrapped up the tickets and we put it all in there and they opened it up. And I was like, kids, like this is happening today. Like after lunch, we're going to go get on an airplane and we're going to go to Disney World. And their reaction was pathetic. <laughs> it was, it was like, it was like, okay, like, is there Legos or Barbies or something we could open? And, and it took them a while. The reaction came later, but within maybe an hour or two, they were like running in circles around my mother-in-law's house. Do you remember that? They were, they were just going nuts after a while. Like, it took them a while. But that reaction in the moment just wasn't, 
what I was hoping for. I want you to think about that type of a reaction when we read again and go through this song of praise that Mary sings. Because when Mary is given this news that she will be the one to bring the Messiah into the world, she responds with this kind of uh, over-the-top joy. And it is even a youthful joy. We, we meet Mary in Luke chapter 1 as a young betrothed maiden. She's, she's engaged to be married to a man named uh, Joseph. And what custom and practice was in that time in the world, in that part of the world, is a young woman would be engaged somewhere around 12 or 13 years old, and then they would actually get married around 15 or 16 years old. And so we need to think of Mary as an early teenager. I don't know for us, it's like, well, it seems awfully young. Well, you know, they didn't live as long back then. They had to get going on things sooner than we do. She's visited by the angel Gabriel. We met Gabriel. For those of you who are here in our study of the book of Daniel, the angel Gabriel only appears in two places in the Bible, to the prophet Daniel and here to Mary and to some of her relatives. And he, he tells her that she's going to be the one who bears the Messiah. And, and I just encourage you, when you have time, maybe with your family on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, go back and read through the conversation between Mary and Gabriel and just see how... Um, I'll use the word spunky, Mary is. She's energetic. She asks questions. How can this be? All these sorts of things. How can this be? Since I've never been with a man, how am I going to do this? And then obviously she's submissive and she's humble. She says, let, let it be according to the will of the Lord. But then the very next verse says that she ran with great haste to go visit her relative, Elizabeth. The verbs there in the, in the Greek language of the New Testament was written is they're strong words. She says, I have to go now. And she meets with her relative Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is also pregnant with John, the one who will become to, uh, known as John the baptizer. And, and, and Elizabeth is like blessing Mary, and Mary is telling her. And you kind of get this picture of like two women kind of like grabbing each other by the shoulders and like jumping. It's like it's, it's so exuberant and so full of joy. And Mary breaks into this song of joy which is sometimes known the Magnificat. That comes from the Latin word for magnify, which is the first word that she says. And there's something really interesting, by the way, about this prayer that she prays. Virtually every single line comes from the Bible. She is a young woman who, when she receives this incredible news, she starts to pray the words of God back to God. If you're, I don't have time to go through that tonight, but if you're interested, you can go on our website. I put up a PDF of almost every single line and where it can be found in the Psalms, in 1 Samuel, in Exodus. It's amazing. But let's look at her prayer and look at the joy, the things that she's rejoicing in. The first thing that she rejoices in is God himself. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Part of what we're doing right now is that coming true. Calling her blessed and honoring her legacy. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. See, what I love about this is Mary does not have the reaction that some of us might be tempted to have. If I was to be visited by an angel and delivered such incredible, important news that I was going to play this pivotal role of being the one that brings the Messiah into the world, I don't know if you're even the littlest bit like me, but I might be prone to think that I'm pretty awesome. 
No, nobody else, just me. Okay, well, the reality is that we all have this bent where we like to, uh, the word magnify ourselves, make ourselves important, make ourselves look great. But friends, I'm here to tell you that much like Mary, our greatest joy is not found in making a big deal of ourselves, but found in making a big deal about God. Now, she's not falsely modest. She says, look, like all generations are going to talk about me and call me blessed. 2,000 years from now, in far-flung corners of the globe, places like Linwood, Washington, people are going to be talking about me and calling me blessed. And that is true. But she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Friends, like Mary, we can have joy in remembering that it's about God, not about us. It's about turning our attention on him and and magnifying him and talking about how great he is, not about how great we are. She continues on to rejoice in God for some specific attributes that he has. And the first one is that he's merciful. In verse 50, she said his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And down in verse 54, she said that he has remembered his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Friends, our God is a merciful God. And that's incredibly good news because the bad news is that we are often so wayward. The Bible says that we're like, we're like sheep and we just, we go astray. We each turn to our own paths. But see, God is not content to let the children that he loves wander far away from him. The reason why The Messiah is sent into the world is so that God could display the richness of his mercy. Amen? Jesus, it says in in the Gospel of John, says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. That Jesus came to proclaim mercy and forgiveness and grace for those who are in need. Mary also rejoices in God's justice. Verse 51, she says this, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is like Mary the revolutionary here. What she is saying is this, that there's a state of being in the human heart where we will not access this mercy of God and it's pride. If we exist in a place of pride, if we, if we gather riches to ourselves and say, I have everything I need, then we won't access the one thing that we need more than anything else, which is the mercy of God. The Bible is clear from, from front to back that God stands in opposition to those who are proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In fact, it's, it's Jesus himself, this Messiah who is to be born, who says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so friends, Mary can rejoice knowing though that she is poor and she's engaged to Joseph, who is, who is a good man, but not someone of great wealth or, or status or importance. She can know that she has that mercy of God because she and Joseph are in this place of lowliness. And it has less to do with how much money you have and far more to do with the position of your heart. Friends, if you want to have this joy like Mary, I want to encourage you towards a posture of humility before God so that you can receive his mercy. And the last thing that she rejoices in 
is the promises of God. She says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, or you could translate that as ancestors, and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I'm so thankful that God is a promise-keeping kind of God. Because God made promises. She mentions Abraham and and Abraham's uh, 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 grandson Israel. She mentions them by name. She says to all generations forever coming after Abraham. But then she also uses this phrase to our fathers or to our ancestors. Meaning since the very beginning, God has been speaking promises of redemption. Though the world is dark, though the world is broken, though humans uh, war with God and war with one another, there is a plan of salvation coming that God will not let evil and destruction get the last word. You know, the very first promise the very first time that God makes a promise like this, it actually comes from the book of Genesis. It's way back at the beginning of the story. In Genesis, God creates the world. It's free from sin. It's free from destruction. The man and the woman are there in the garden. You probably are familiar with this. And and there's a serpent, a divine being that enters into the story and and whispers lies to Mary. and, and, And I'm not sorry, not Mary, Eve, Eve. Whispers lies to Eve. Eve believes the lies, eats of the fruit, gives to her husband Adam, who was there with her, also believing the lies. And the world has been plunged into this great problem ever since when humans said, no, God, we want to live life on our own terms. We want to do things according to our own governance and not yours. And so God, by the way, God never curses the man and the woman. He curses the ground. And he curses the serpent. And in these words here in Genesis 3.15, this is God speaking a word of curse to the serpent, but in it is the tiniest little seed of the hope of the gospel. He says this, God says, I will put enmity between you, evil serpent, and the woman. This is interesting. Between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some very interesting things in there because well, Christians see in that a, a picture, a promise of the hope of Jesus Christ. The one who comes who would defeat the serpent. The one who would crush the head of the snake, but in so doing would experience a mortal wound. We as Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross as a fulfillment of this first promise, this first hope of the gospel that was offered. But what's really fascinating to me in these verses, in this particular verse, is the phrase, her offspring. Why would it single out Eve as the one who would bear this snake crusher? Why wouldn't it say your plural? I mean, it's, it's pretty much just Adam and Eve at this point in the story. There's something in here where God is saying, I want you to see that I'm going to do something really, really unique involving women, involving the woman to usher in the hope of redemption. Luke 1, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since Since I am a virgin, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This promise that God gave uniquely to the first woman 
Eve comes true in the life of this young woman that we meet tonight, Mary. There's a painting. It came out just a few years ago. The the painting, I want to make sure I get this title right. It's called Mary Consoles Eve. It's actually by a a Catholic nun in in the southern part of the state. Her name is uh, Grace Remington. And a few years ago, when I first saw this painting, it actually moved me to tears. Um, I looked at it again earlier this week, and it just is profound. Here we have a portrait of Eve on the left and Mary on the right, with Eve still clutching the fruit, covered with her hair, but the, the look of shame on her face and the serpent still entangled around her leg. And yet here we have Mary standing next to her with a look of, it looks like empathy to me, and the smile looks like joy to me, with a hand on the womb saying, Eve, can you believe what our God is going to use us ladies to do? To usher in the one who will crush the head of the serpent. See, friends, our God is the kind of God who makes good on his promises. And the virgin birth is not simply some trick or some afterthought that came up later so that God could kind of prove some point. This has been there since the plan, since since day one, the beginning of the plan, that God would bring in his own son, through the offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman, she would usher in, she would be the human parent, but God himself would be the father of the Messiah so that Jesus Christ would be unlike any other human being who has ever lived. Friends, we do not believe that Jesus is simply a good moral teacher. We do not believe that he simply started a movement of faith in God or, or that he's simply an important historical figure. No, friends, we who have come to faith in Jesus believe that he truly is the Son of God and the Son of Man, fully divine and fully human. Do I fully understand that? You better believe not. But it's what the Bible teaches, and in that lies our greatest hope. Friends, Mary's deepest joy was found in God's plan of salvation. And my hope for you tonight is that you would have that same joy. You know, there's a lot of things offering to, pr- to give you joy, promising you joy, particularly this Christmas season. I was, I was watching a, a football game yesterday. I won't mention the teams. It's too painful to talk about <laughs> But I was just thinking about that, knowing I would kind of be teaching about joy and, and particularly watching the commercials, because let's be honest, they were better than that game. And I was watching the commercials and just how every single commercial that comes across is, is promising some sort of hope of joy. You can have joy. You can have joy. Buy this thing. Give joy this holiday season. If you just buy our particular uh, you know, product and give it to that person, then they could have joy too. And everyone is offering joy. And friends, the reality is that many of us deep down in our hearts are just not experiencing joy, certainly not joy like Mary has. And I want to submit to you, is it because our hearts turn to other things besides the God for whom we were created? Mary's deepest joy was knowing God's plan of salvation. For those of you who are here tonight and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, I want to urge you, plead with you, lovingly extend an invitation to you tonight to place your faith in Jesus. Placing your faith in Jesus does not mean that your life will be perfect from this day forward. But it does mean that we can know the type of joy that Mary knew in that moment. Mary's life was not easy from this moment. She still experienced poverty. She still experienced the ridicule of people who didn't believe her when she said that her child was born of, the, of, of God himself. She had to watch her son pierced through his hands and feet. 
And yet none of that deterred her from her joy of knowing God, her Redeemer. Friends, for those of you who are Christians, for those of you who, by God's grace, have been welcomed into his family, I want to urge you to continue to put your focus on the God who gives you joy. And I want to say to you, don't think, well, it's easy for her to have joy. She had a great job. She was picked out by God to bear the Messiah. You think that was easy? Well, listen, let me say this to you. Each of us in our lives, we don't have the same lives. We're not the same. In this room, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, But the hope of the gospel is that God not only knows us, but that he loves us. I would even go so far as to say that God likes us. He desires relationship with each and every single one of us. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite old English preachers. He says it this way. I'll let him have the last word. You will perhaps tell me that the virgin had a very special reason for magnifying the Lord. And I answer, yeah, she totally did. It's paraphrased. It's old English here. Blessed is she among women, and we are not backward to own the eminent honor which was put upon her. Blessed indeed she was, and highly favored, but yet, is there any true believer who has not also received special favor of the Lord? Sitting down quietly in our chamber, can we not each one say that the Lord has favored him or her with some special token of divine love? I think there's something about each believer's case which renders it special. We are none of us exactly like our brethren, and the manifestations of divine grace are very various. And there are some bright lines about your case, brother, which will be seen nowhere else, and some peculiar manifestations about your happiness, my sister, of which no one else can tell. I, might, I love this. I might not be straining words if I were to say to many a sister in Christ here, Hail, Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And I might say the same to many a brother here. Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among men. The Lord has done great things for thee. Let thy spirit be glad. Father God, I pray that you would help us to have joy, the joy that our our sister Mary had. And Lord God, may we have the joy that she had knowing that you're a God who delights in showing mercy, that you're a God who delights in giving that mercy to those who come in humility. For each and every single one of us right now, I pray, wherever our hearts are prone to turn to seek for joy, would you help us to place our deepest trust, our deepest hope in Jesus, the one whose birth we celebrate this week. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen.